Well, I would like to continue this evening in our brief examination of headship and submission in Christian marriage. I want to expand upon some of the points that I made last time. And really the first point has to do with the fact that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and a proper understanding of the Scriptures that we can really have harmony in a marriage and God be honored in the home. And it's also true that as we look at these things tonight, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll be able to understand these things and then apply them in our lives. So let's pray here before we uh, look into the Word. Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit, the helper, to come now and work in our hearts. Each one of us that are Christians need help in this area. And uh, for those that are not Christians, they need their eyes opened to the wonder of Christianity, the wonder of what Christ has done and what he can do in lives. So we ask that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about a supernatural thing here this evening, something that's beyond the realm of what we can do in ourselves. One of the places that the scriptures help us to have a proper understanding of headship and submission is in its presentation of the Trinitarian nature of God. Now that might seem to be a very strange place to begin to talk about human relationships. But ultimately, we are relational creatures because we're made in the image of a relational God. Relations amongst the Godhead that took place for all eternity. And those relationships within the Trinity are really the highest standard by, what, by which we can judge or determine what human relationships should be like. As I said last time, the three persons of the Trinity are equal in essence but there is a subordination of roles. And from that simple truth, equal in essence, but a subordination of roles, from that simple truth, we can learn many important things about human relationships. For one thing, we see that an authority structure does not equal oppression. An authority structure does not need to equal oppression. Now, that's not the case, at least we don't see that in this sinful world that we live in. Often, authority is used or abused in a way that brings oppression. 
the one in authority often abuses that authority and lords it over those who are under him. But a subordinate position does not have to be demeaning or detrimental. We know this because Christ, the Son of God, is subordinate to the Father, yet in a relationship of love with him eternally, with no exploitation or abuse. There was subordination, but absolutely no inferiority of person or essence, or essential worth, you might say. Now, this should be a wonderful truth if we really get a hold of it and think on it. It should be a wonderful truth for the woman in a Christian marriage. Headship and submission do not, do not have to be viewed in, a, in the way that the world views them. If headship and submission can exist in a loving relationship between the equal persons of the Trinity, then we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same type of relationship can exist between equal persons in marriage. I'm not losing anybody, am I? Just expanding on this idea of what, what relationships are like in the Trinity. And uh, one of the key scriptures here, I think we read it last time, but it's worth reading again, is in 1 Corinthians 11.3. You don't need to turn to it. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Christ's role of submission to the Father. That's what he's talking about there, God being the head of Christ. Christ's role of submission to the Father was of the utmost nobility and value. And the wife's role of submission in Christian marriage is also of great value and nobility. God's design for his son was always that he would be highly exalted. And this should be the husband's desire for the wife. Again, taking it from the relation of the father and the son, his, God's purpose and desire for his son was that he would be highly exalted. And that should be the husband's purpose and desire for the wife. Let me just say as an aside here that are the Christian single ladies, what we're saying here is another reason why the Bible says that you should not be unequally yoked. And by that, of course, Paul's talking about entering into a marriage with an unbeliever, with a non-Christian. The unbeliever is not going to properly understand or practice biblical authority, the biblical authority structure, and it will bring many heartaches to the husband and wife relationship. So, just one more aspect of why Paul would say, do not be unequally yoked. Well, let's uh, go on and look at another aspect of headship and submission as we see it in the Trinity. 
As we look into the scriptures, we see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have different primary functions, and yet all are involved in each other's activity. Different primary functions, but all are involved in each other's activity. Um, We see this especially in the work of creation and in the work of redemption. We normally think of God the Father as the Creator and Christ as the Redeemer. But as we examine the Scriptures closely, we see that all three persons of the Trinity are involved in each other's activities. God the Father spoke the creative words that brought the universe into being, but it was God the Son who carried out these creative activities. As the Scripture says uh, in John, all things came into being by Him, speaking of Christ, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. We also see the Holy Spirit active in creation, even right in Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about the Spirit of God moving on the surface of the water. So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all active in this thing of creation. Uh, You see this same type of thing uh, where there's distinctive uh, functions related to redemption, and yet all of the... uh, persons of the Trinity are involved in redemption. The Father planned redemption, sent the Son into the world. The Son obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and Son to apply redemption. So what's that all have to do with headship and submission in marriage? I think this shows us the spirit of cooperation and interdependence that the husband and wife should have even as they recognize different primary roles. You see what I'm doing here? I'm taking the example of the Trinity and how uh, each person has a, uh, a primary role and yet they're all active in one another's activities. Um, so, a that should be reflected in Christian marriage with a spirit of cooperation and interdependence that the husband and wife should have. This attitude should be one, their attitude should be one of interdependence, not independence. Nothing is done unilaterally, unilaterally without the involvement of the other. That's the way it should be in Christian marriage. As Jesus said this concerning his uh, relationship with the Father in John 5.20, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. That should speak to us concerning marriage. Though the husband should exercise the primary leadership role in decision-making in the marriage, he does not exercise independence in this. He should listen respectfully and thoughtfully to what his wife has to say and include her her wisdom and her insight in the decisions he makes. So, in general, what we're saying here is that the father's headship over the son always involves 
loving, sharing with, and honoring the Son. We're talking about headship in marriage, but it, we're going back for our understanding of that to headship in the Trinity. And the Father's headship over the Son always involved loving, sharing with, and honoring the Son. As such, it helps us see the proper way headship should operate in marriage. It keeps us from any perverted views of male superiority or harsh authoritarian domination. If we see what authority is like in the Godhead, it should keep us from any wrong views of male superiority or harsh authoritarian domination. The husband's headship can only properly reflect reflect the relationships in the Trinity when the husband treats the wife with honor, fully, fully equal with him, listens to her views, values her gifts, and seeks, always seeks her welfare. That's godlike headship. Well, the last time we also looked at the subject of headship and submission in Ephesians chapter 5. Why don't we turn to that? We saw that to properly understand Paul's teaching on headship and submission in Ephesians chapter 5, we must start at least back in verse 17 where he writes about being filled with the Spirit and some of the results of this, things like a joyful heart, uh, thankfulness to God, and submission to one another in Christ. And then he goes on from there to talk of submission and headship and marriage and puts an emphasis really on the area of uh, the man's responsibility in terms of leadership and headship. So let's just read this section again because it's so uh, important for what we're looking at. And we'll begin with verse 17, chapter 5, Ephesians. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. 
So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become, become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So, again, we see a very high standard being set for the Christian husband. In fact, the highest, which is Christ himself, his love for the church. When we think about Christ and his relationship to the church, we know that he never used his, his authority for selfish purposes. His was a completely unselfish love for his people. So the husband's pattern for headship in marriage is the sacrificial, the sacrificial love, the serving love, the sanctifying love of Christ. So it's no wonder then that Paul exhorts us, exhorts Christians, as he starts into this section, to be filled with the Spirit. Because what he's talking about is totally impossible if you're not filled with the Spirit. Uh, it's simply impossible to live like Christ without the Spirit of Christ within us. And that's what he's calling for here in both the husband and wife. He mentions two types of submission, and we talked about this last time. The submission that each Christian has for one another, since we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, we all submit to one another, and the submission that the wife has for her husband in marriage. And I believe there is a sense in which both of these are present in the husband and wife relationship. A Christian husband must continue to honor his wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life and with humility of mind regard her as more important than himself as he hopefully did before they were married. There was a submission there before because we all submit to one another and then that goes on in marriage. These aspects of mutual submission do not cease with marriage, though a new positional structure of authority is established. That new positional structure has to do with the husband assuming the leadership role in the family. You might look at it this way. The Christian wife has added a new submission to her life. She's submitted to Christ and to other Christians, which prior to marriage in, included her future husband. And then when she's married, now she is submitted to that man as husband 
as the leader of the home. So she's just added another submission. But what I want us to see here in thinking about this is that in Christ, both authority and submission are about sacrificing for the good of others. Both authority and submission are about sacrificing for the good of the other. In Christ, the one in authority does not seek dominance, and the one in submission does not seek autonomy. By autonomy, I mean mean just to do their own thing. Each seeks the welfare and well-being of the other. Though there are God-given distinctions in marriage, in the marriage roles and duties, these distinctions are used for the other's good. They're not used for selfish purposes. In Christian marriage, the wife's respectful submission to her husband means she gives herself up, she gives herself up to him. And the husband's loving headship over his wife means he gives himself up for her. So in practice, respectful submission and loving authority turn out to be two aspects of essentially the same thing, selfless, self-giving. Selfless, self-giving. Now I'm going to read that again because it's kind of a complicated sentence, but it's really the heart of what I want to say in this part of the message. In Christian marriage, the wife's respectful submission to her husband means she gives herself up to him. And the husband's loving headship over his wife means he gives himself up for her. And that, in practice, means that both are living a selfless, self-giving life. Well, I want to begin to bring this to a close. Paul says that this whole area of Christian marriage is a spirit-revealed mystery. You see that there at the end of this section we read. This mystery is great. It's a spirit-revealed great mystery. That's because it has to do with the relationship of Christ and the church. There's simply no way the non-Christian can understand or undertake such a way of life. It takes a revelation of Christ. It takes the love of Christ being shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit to even begin to understand what we're talking about here. We have to have our eyes open to what Christ has done for the church. What he did for his flawed and often foolish followers how he loved them and served them and sacrificed himself for them that he might sanctify them. His, his leadership was never one of control but of caring humility even to the point of dying in their place. 
One writer said it, although I'm paraphrasing a little bit, he said this, For Adam to have a bride, he had to give part of himself, his rib. For Christ to have a bride, he had to give all of himself. And this is what we're called to as husband and wife, especially what Paul's talking about here in relationship to the husband. Now, you've probably noticed I've spent more time speaking about the need for godly headship than I have about a wife's submission. And I have a reason for that. It's because I believe if we get this right as husbands, a Christian wife will, by the grace of God, willingly submit as the church does to Christ. You get this part right, the part that Paul spends the most time on, even though he starts out, see what happens is we look at this section and we see he starts out with the thing of uh, wives submitting and sometimes we think this is the emphasis. This is not the emphasis. The emphasis is Christ and what he's done and how he's uh, died for the church. In other words, the order of understanding this is important. We shouldn't take the order here as the first important thing being wives being in subjection. The, the important thing is husbands loving their wives. And here's the thing. This is, I think, what we need to see. The, churches, the church loves Christ because Christ first loved the church and gave himself up for her. The emphasis of the Bible is not on what the church does for Christ, but what Christ has done for the church. You see what I'm getting at here. I think this is really important. And that is the, the order is Christ loved us and therefore we love him. So the order in terms of husband and wife is the, 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 the husband loves his wife and lays down his life for her and she responds in a loving submission willing submission so a few questions here husbands are you serving are you serving your wife Christ served the church. Are you sacrificing for your wife? Are you sanctifying your wife? That is, helping her grow in her relationship to Christ. If you can say yes to that in even a limited way, which I think is about all any of us can do, uh, I, I'm sure this will bring her closer to you in loving submission if she's a Christian. Even if she's not a Christian, I think it'll have a big effect on her to serve and sacrifice and seek to sanctify her.
Well, I'll close then with this question again to husbands. And this kind of goes back to one of the things we talked about last week related to Christ there in the time of the Last Supper washing the disciples' feet. Here's the question, men, husbands. Have you washed your wives' feet lately? Now, you know I'm not speaking about doing that physically. But spiritually, like Paul was referring to in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, where he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We, we should be working towards this thing of presenting our wives uh, like Christ is going to present the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Are you going to present your wife to Christ beat down and discouraged? Well, that's not, that's not following Christ's example. Well, again, I want to say that Renee and I are still learning these things and need God's Spirit daily to help us uh, live in a measure like what we're talking about here. And I know any Christian would say the same thing. But these, this is our, our standard. Our standard, two things. Our standard in, in Christian marriage related to headship and, and submission is, first of all, the, the Trinitarian relationships with there being an equal essence and yet a subordination in roles and then the standard of Christ in the church. Those are, those are the standards. And those are um, why Paul says be filled with the Spirit because those are impossible standards. We need God's help. Let's, let's sing 4.22. Blessed are the humble souls that see their emptiness and poverty. Treasures of grace to them are given and crowns of joy laid up in heaven. <clears throat>